Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Charles Voorhees and Jason Adair. Charles is a professor and co-director in the Animal Behavior Corps at the University of Cincinnati. Jason is a senior engineer at San Diego Instruments. They are here to speak about best practices and prescribed techniques for acoustic, tactile, and pre-pulse inhibition paradigms for startle reflex testing in rodents. Let's jump in. Question. Uh, can the presenters explain what acoustic startle rise time is and why this is important? And Jason, I'll ask that maybe you lead this one. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that's a critical metric when it comes to eliciting the startle response from the animal. Generally speaking, you know, the rise time is the time it takes for sound to change from essentially a low volume, like background, up to the desired decibel level. Particularly with the SR Lab, it has a rise time of about one and a half milliseconds. So it's happening really quick. Yeah, and I would just add that um, uh, frequently reviewers will ask this qu the question, if you report your startle uh, data, they'll ask you what was the rise time of the acoustic uh, signal. And so that's a good piece of information to have at your disposal when you're publishing your data. Perfect. All right, perfect. Great answer. Uh, next one. We've got a question. How do you calibrate sound levels between boxes? So again, Jason, maybe you can lead this one. Another good question. So it's very important that the sound being delivered to the animals is uniform across all boxes. So to accomplish this, we um, utilize a sound level meter from a third-party source and place that inside the SR Lab cabinet. And then in software, we have a range that goes from zero up to 750 that you kind of dial in so you can land directly on the decibel level that you need. The sound calibration doesn't need to be performed very often, but it's one of those things that should be checked periodically. Yes, and, and typically what we do is we will check that at the beginning of a new experiment. That's the typical time we do it. Or if, we're, or if it's an experiment over a period of many months, then we will check it uh, every few weeks. Okay, great. Um, all right, so Roland has asked, um, is a decreased startle response measured uh, in transgenic mice purely based on a misconnection in the startle circuitry system, or could there be other factors at play here? Again, Jason, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, might need a little more details from, from Roland on what he's um, referencing about the misconnect. But one of the things that we see and uh, get questions on quite often is about something to look at is the, is the hearing affected in the, in the mouse. You know, we see in some strains of mice like C57 that as they age, their hearing, you know, decreases significantly. So that's something that um, we could talk with Roland about and, and uh, dig a little deeper into. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we've, uh, we've seen that. In, in C57 mice, I actually had it on the slide, but I didn't highlight it as I spoke. But, but we definitely see that as C57 mice get older, they show hearing loss, which will interfere with your ability to do acoustic startle. And one of the things that I would also say about mice in general is that when you're testing mice, look through your data for non-responders and 
that is often a hint that uh, you have hearing loss in some of your animals. Okay, great. That's, that's great feedback. Another question. So David has asked, uh, this is a question for you, Dr. Voorhees. Um, were the same subjects used for each time point when testing PRM and DLM? Oh, and at, at two, four, six, and eight hours? Yes. yes. Those were the same animals. So that's one of the things that was a strength of the startle is, we, is that you can, you can test the, the reflex over and over and over again with very little loss of, of response amplitude. I mean, you get a little bit of you know, decline due to habituation, but with startle, it's, it's quite minimal. Perfect. Um, and actually, this plays into your answer here. We've got a question that's come in from Mark, and um, he would like to know, in your experience, how does the startle response correlate with other behavioral measures? And he's referenced here an elevated plus maze, but uh, I think what he's really looking to get is your opinion on uh, adding an, uh, using startle as an additional component, an additional behavioral test in a battery for animals undergoing stress. Stress is his particular focus. Um, can you share your comments on that? Well, in, as a general rule, stress will increase the startle response, at least acute stress will. Chronic stress may increase startle also, but it will depend to some extent on how long after you stop the, the, stress, the stressor and when you test the startle response. But startle is quite different than anxiety measures like elevated plus or elevated zero maze. And, um, so it's really quite a different measure. And so I would say that you're really measuring two different things. One is measuring anxiety, and the other is a reflex which can be influenced by stress, but is not uh, considered a direct measure of anxiety. Okay. Moving on to our next question, Esteban would like to know what type of stimulation frequencies and I, perhaps procedures can be achieved with the air puff system. And Jason, maybe you could uh, talk about this and and uh, uh, Chip maybe chime in on maybe what you've done in your lab as well. So he's he's curious about the um, kind of the frequency duration of the air puff that's delivered to the animal. Yeah, he sp he has specifically said stimulation frequencies. Um, I thought that it might also be interpreted as the procedures that might be planned, uh, like repetitive frequency of a puff. Oh, okay. If that makes sense. But Chip may know more than myself about this one, but the, um, the delivery of the air puffs are, are typically very short in duration. Um, okay. But as yeah. far as the, the frequency that are used, Chip can probably speak to that a, a little better. Well, we typically use 20 milliseconds for the air puff. I mean, 20 to 40 milliseconds is the typical range. One thing I would point out about tactile startle is that because the, the air pressure has to be controlled by a solenoid, it, there, is, there is, in fact, an acoustic signal that comes off of the solenoid it actually clicks open and clicks shut very rapidly. And it's a mechanical device, so it makes noise. And so what we do with uh, Tactile is we also run trials where we, we basically measure just the effect of the solenoid clicking without any air. And, and then we do that just so that we can understand whether the response is in fact influenced by the sound that the clicking solenoid makes. And in, at least in our hands, it's, it's not much of an effect, but it's something you should look at in your own system if you're going to do air puff startle. And 
and a tactile, the range of, of air uh, pressures, the PSI that you use can, can go anywhere from, I think on Jason's slide it was like 60 PSI. I think we're currently using 80. It doesn't really matter once you get up above about 50 or 60. Uh, it'll elicit a strong response. It, you can go higher and it just doesn't make much additional difference. Okay, that's great feedback. Thanks for that. Um, we've got a question here, a few questions. Uh, one from Heidi. Uh, she's just asking about the body weight of young mice. So, you know, she's heard that researchers have experienced challenges when running mice younger than 45 days due to weight. Um, is there a prescribed lower limit for weight and or age? Uh, so again, Jason, is there kind of a standard response uh, or experience from the SDI side of maybe Dr. Voorhees, you could comment on maybe what you've experienced in the lab uh, as far as weight and age. There is a, definitely a range. On the, on the lower end of things, you know, the mice, if body weight's around 10 grams and less are, are a little tricky to detect. Um, anything above 10 grams, the researcher would want to use something like our small enclosures, which is adjusted for you know, that particular body weight to pick up those very small movements from, from those guys. So yeah. kind of 10 grams and above is kind of a, um, a rule we go by. Okay. Yeah. Now we don't have, we haven't done a lot of testing in young mice. Most of the time when we test mice, they're adolescent or adult. Now in rats, we do test young rats, but yeah, young mice present a challenge. There are a couple things that you can do. First of all, you'd wanna get the smallest uh, holder or enclosure from SDI, they do make one that is a, is a small one intended for small and young animals. But the other thing we do is we adjust the sensitivity of the system. So in an adult, we generally test, uh, set the sensitivity either at SDI's recommended value of 200 or for some experiments where we've uh, where we know that the compound is going to suppress the response, we've shifted that upward to 300. In young animals, however, we set it even higher at, at 700. So, and that really helps uh, in the detection sensitivity of the apparatus. Okay, perfect. Great, thanks for that, uh, that answer. We've got another question from Heidi. I'm curious here whether she's referencing ITI or ISI. She's written ISI, uh, so can someone comment about ISI in PPI with mice? Uh, so pre-pulse inhibition with mice, but is it perhaps ITI? Uh, is there a short well, form I, ISI? Well, ISI, the interstimulus interval is, okay. is I, we typically use 70 milliseconds, but there's okay. a broad range that you can use. People use anywhere from about 50 milliseconds. I've seen people use a uh, hundred or milliseconds or even higher. Okay. Uh, what you want to do is 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 test it out in your own hands and see what what works best. Uh, Seventy milliseconds is we find works well. Hundred mil milliseconds also works quite well, and that's measured from the from prepulse onset to startle signal onset. So it's onset to onset is is that number of seconds. So if you if the onset is you know time zero, and it's on for 20 milliseconds, then you'll have 50 milliseconds of no sound, and then 
the startle stimulus comes on. So it's onset to onset being 70 milliseconds. Okay. And we see that quite a bit. It's, you know, Chip is using 70 milliseconds for the ISI. You know, from other labs, you know, I've seen anything between 60 and 120 is a very common, common ISI. Okay. Um, very good. Thanks for the feedback there. Um, maybe switching gears a bit, just going back to the SR lab system. Um, Alicia has asked, um, as a current customer, it appears that to her, at least there's a newer version of perhaps the software. Um, does that make sense? Uh, and uh, if so, how can current users access the latest version of the software? Are there any additional features that may be available? Okay. So if Alicia has the system um, or has had it for a little while, basically a newer version within within one year if we released it. So I'll have to look up and see what uh, if there's any feature change of what she has as opposed to what's out now. Okay. We rolled out a new version a few months ago. Yeah, so I'll have to check to see if there's a feature you know, increase or, or not. Sure. Yeah, it sounds, like, uh, it sounds like if there's a variety of different versions and best to check this based on what a current user is working with now and what the latest one offers. Very good. Yeah, a lot of that is uh, operating system compatibility, you know, with, uh, you know, always playing catch up with Microsoft to, <laughs> to operating systems. That's so. true. That's true. <laughs> um, very good. Okay. So definitely uh, a, a direct follow-up with you, Alicia, and make sure that um, uh, Jason connects with you after the webinar. Okay, so another question from Roland, actually. Um, he has asked if um, ASR responses are very low, which they might be in young mice, um, is enhanced sensitivity calibration a better option to use over switching to TSR? So maybe, you know, Chip, what, what's your uh, uh, opinion on this? Well, yeah, I would, you know, if, you're getting, if he's getting very low responses, I would certainly try increasing the sensitivity setting. But the other advantage of, of running a session on his mice with TSR would be it would help him determine whether a hearing deficit is playing a part in his acoustic startle response. So, you know, if TSR and you're getting good responses and you run ASR and you're getting very weak responses, I would suspect that maybe some hearing loss is occurring. Okay. That's that's great recommendation. Um, anything additional from you, Jason, on that one? No, I think increasing no. the sensitivity, there should be some some room for him to try that easily. Okay. So that's something that we could we could definitely help him with to increase sensitivity and, and see if that helps with his ASR um, sessions. Okay, perfect. And also just a general question again about system setup uh, and also operating capacity. For, for high throughput studies, is there a maximum uh, amount of boxes that can be put together and tested simultaneously with um, all the data coming into the, like one software uh, at a time. So, are there are there any limits there, or? So we um, we limit the system to sixteen, which is okay. quite a few. Um, so we can handle sixteen through the USB interface box um, that I showed on one of the slides, and so that allows you to use a laptop or a desktop, of course. Okay, but. Um, when you approach 16, I think you're getting to uh, more of an issue with lab space than you are with uh, sure. <laughs> capacity on, on our end. But uh, yeah, we, we settled at 16 cabinets to total. And so, and that's into one operating system as well, one computer connection, one uh, 
That's right. Okay. Yeah, so in theory, if, if someone wants to go right. above that, yeah, an additional operating system as a standalone uh, is, yeah, is possible. It. Okay. You got it. Yeah. Great. Great. Okay. Well, just one final question from Ivana. Uh, the question is, would TSR be better than ASR when testing fear-related memory uh, after trauma or stress in rats? So what's your uh, thoughts on this, Chip? Oh, well, I, I, you know, I don't have any experience in that particular context, so you know, okay. I'm not really sure how to advise the questioner on that point. But um, I, I, again, I think it would be a situation where you should, you could try them both. Now, obviously, there's some additional cost and complexity in setting up TSR. Uh, how you set up TSR, you need a a pressure line, an air pressure line. And depending on what kind of lab you're in, that could be either quite easy or a little more challenging. Right. If you have to buy compressed air tanks and, and bring them into the lab and getting all the tubing set up, it, it is a little more complicated. We happen to be in a setting where we're connected to a hospital, so medical air is available, and all we had to do was run a line to our um, dis air distribution system and then and then connect it through the tubing system that San Diego Instruments provides. So it, I think it depends a little bit on how, how much you want to explore this area, but, you know, I would think it would, it, you know, depending on how it works with the ASR, I'd try it with ASR first. If you're set up for it, that's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. But if you if you're not getting the kind of results you you are expecting or predicting, I would then consider trying it with TSR. Great, so good recommendation. And actually, I am gonna we're gonna do one more question. Actually, a good question is coming from Sean. So uh, Sean has asked during the acclimation, is it typical to generate background noise, and how critical is this? So maybe just to Jen, uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on this uh, standard practice for acclimation, background noise, and and such? Yeah, it depends on the, uh, the particular lab setup. You know, some labs have um, you know louder noise air circulation systems than others, or you know some other distractions that they might want to mask. You don't need it. I mean, if you have a quiet lab, you can use zero as your background level. If you have a nice quiet you know, nice quiet lab, but I'm not going to have any distractions. So I would say it's probably split maybe 70-30 uh, in favor of using the, uh, some kind of a background level. Okay. Well, I, I'll add a comment there. So the, the ASR, I mean, the San Diego Instruments cabinet has a fan in it. Now, the newer cabinets, they've got a fan in there that's quite, it's quiet, but it isn't zero. Uh, we measure it, and um, in fact, I think it's it's always good to go through your chambers and use the sound level meter to measure whatever your background is with the with the cabinet fan on. You know, ours hovers around 62 to 65 decibels as our background. Some people will then just decide that they want to set a background level with the programming equipment up to maybe 70. We don't do that. And one of the reasons that we don't is because our lowest pre-pulse uh, signals are just barely above 70. So we don't want to put the background up at 70 for that reason because then you don't have much difference. So we let the background be as close to whatever that fan you know, produces inside the cabinet as, as, it, as it comes in the company. And we use that as our background level. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.